everybody. You all are connected, and um, I'm so happy that we're here at another episode, and we're talking about something that I think is a great conversation about books. Uh, so, and books have excelled and grown to the point that you can read it, listen to it, um, all types of things. I, I even see something on um, sometimes on Instagram. I don't know how legit it is, but they say you can scan the book, and all of a sudden it'll just start to to read. Have you seen that? They'll no. say you could scan it, and all of a sudden it'll just read. And I was like. It's just so many different things. But anyhow, so that's what we're talking about today. Books, books, books. So I have Jonathan Beatty. um, And I want to, first of all, thank you for coming again. I really appreciate you coming. Thank you. Um, And I wanted to ask, because I really don't know um, if you're a Kentucky native. I am, yeah. Hazard, Kentucky, Southeast. Hazard, Kentucky. Yes, sir. So I I say that because I know everybody, I don't want y'all to think you know, and if it is, as Tabitha Brown says, that's my business. If I interview everybody from Kentucky, because <laughs> I want y'all to know, first of all, there are black people in Kentucky. I want y'all to know that. I go places often, you know, and people will say, there's black people in Kentucky. Right. I'm like, yes, yeah. yes. And they're thriving, yeah. well, successful, <laughs> you all know, that, good. And people sure. don't think that, you know. So I wondered, I didn't know if you were a Kentucky native or not. I'm a proud Hazard Kentucky native. Went to school at the University of Kentucky, my undergrad and my MBA, both. But then I'm from the country, but I'm a city guy at heart. I love uh, the city. I've lived in Cincinnati, Baltimore, Oakland, Atlanta, Buford, which is outside of Atlanta. So my my roots are in the country. My roots are in Kentucky, but um, I definitely love to be in other places as well. Wanted to see because your background was interesting in a sense of you started in finance, mm-hmm. Procter and Gamble. Mm-hmm. To jump from finance in Procter and Gamble, which is a reputable company mm-hmm. known by many people, just the name alone, to then jump into books, you know, yeah. that is not backed by Procter and Gamble, you know, right. but is you know that's your passion zone. And I wanted to know, was the passion for reading or books and all this stuff always undergirding the experience with finance? Uh, was it like, because, you know, sometimes um, when people are doing their dreams and passions and stuff, it's like, I'm doing this until I finally, or is it was something that you woke up one day and like, you know what, I really love to read. I just want to know how did that, <laughs> that journey, you know, go? Because, I mean, for somebody to have left um, a lucrative, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. career, you know, with Procter and Gamble, and then say, "I'm going to go promote books." Yeah, you know, what was that that like for you? Yeah, it was a crazy jump. Okay. They're definitely not linked. Uh, so I worked for P and G for seven years. I was that's when I ended up moving to Cincinnati after grad school, and then I worked for a couple years out with Cover their CoverGirl brand in Baltimore, but. I left PNG in 2012 to move out to California. So the origin story of of the books really came from getting out to Oakland, living in a beautiful Oakland Hills home, and then going into San Francisco to work for this company called McKesson, which is it was Fortune 10 at that time. So very similar in terms of reputable, um, very lucrative career. But the the thing that changed my life and the complete trajectory of of me as a human and everything that's come since 2012, 2013 was seeing our homeless brothers and sisters rows and rows on the street, um, in the subway, 
and I couldn't understand why people were allowing that to happen. So I I left work one day. It's a crazy story. Like I left work in San Francisco, um, was going to lunch, and I saw a lady eating out of a trash can, uh, and then just moving to the side using a bathroom. Like this is in the middle of the day, middle of the street, and people are looking at it like it's normal. So I I realized at that point. I was part of the problem because I had this gift and this talent and these skills that I've been trained by some of the best companies in the world, and I wasn't using it to do good. So fast forward, I started a business. Um, I originally moved from California back to Kentucky, actually to Lexington, to start my first company, which, is called, which was called Cervanta. It was meant to serve, and it was going to partner locally conscious businesses with nonprofits. So you merge the two together, you create campaigns and raise awareness, raise funds. But in 2015, about a year after I started, I realized that wasn't the right path. If you wanted to address homelessness, then there was this thing called illiteracy that that is one of the primary drivers of not just homelessness, but poverty and crime and violence and all these other woes that we have as a society that we don't want. And that was that was it. I had and I had a flash in my mind. It was I love books. And at the time, um, I, I had just learned about a company called Tom's and the the fact that more than two thirds of kids in low income homes didn't have a book. So I was like, well, that's the solution. You just sell a product like they were selling shoes and you just give a book. And it's been years after that to get to this point to create I love books. Um, but that came after I went back into corporate. So that whole yeah. entrepreneurship story of going broke and sleeping on a couch and not having a car, I lived that for a couple of years of my life and was fortunate enough to get back on my feet and be able to get back to the mission. You linking it to um, senses areas of poverty and homelessness and um, it's interesting, you know, mm-hmm. and also that that's, you have statistics for that. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, um, and I, I think that that's important because sometimes when we uh, look at people that are in poverty situations, uh, we don't realize there's a story connected to it. For sure. Um, sometimes even, um, I, I say this, what we don't often connect is that there's a real human being. Yeah. You know, we kind of look at them as a, um, you know, there's a homeless person or someone walking up to my car or something and realizing that is a real person who has a real story. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're part of a real problem, yeah. you know, and for you to be able to identify that, I thought that that was um, worth noting, you know, that it wasn't just, you know, because a lot of people hear stuff, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's linked to that, and it's right. especially sometimes with our, our people per se, you know, it's linked, and you know, it's a, it's yeah. a shame what's going on <laughs> out there and stuff, you know, but for you to be able to say, I want to be a part of that, you know, uh, a part of the solution to be able mm-hmm. to connect that. So I wanted to ask you, because this is a question I ask all the time, because I'm always interested, the origins of Jonathan growing up, was there this household environment or community of a love for education, mm. for books, um, for you know those types of things that you grew up in? Yeah, absolutely. I am uh, a preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. Come on, you know, <laughs> military military son, um, and just so the combination of that instilled a lot of discipline, uh, a love for service. So that's always been part of my my life. When 
growing up in Lots Creek, Kentucky, in Hazard, my parents who didn't go to college, they were intelligent enough to know that education was the way that we were going to live the best life we possibly could. So they, I knew when I was a kid, I was going to college, whether I wanted to or not. That was the plan that was already laid out. And the same for my siblings. I have two sisters and, and a brother. And we, we grew up in uh, the church. We grew up in an environment that was service-based. My mom was an avid reader growing up. And, of course, I saw my dad reading the Bible. So one of the things that I learned on this literacy awareness journey is that a lot of black boys in particular don't see a black man reading. And that was one of the things that I saw early, which was unbeknownst to me at that time, a massive benefit, but something that is that is needed for our communities. To, they, they have to see us doing, I think in one of your previous episodes, someone said that we, they cannot be what they cannot see. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's a fact. Um, so I was very privileged to grow up in, uh, we grew up modestly, but we had love, we had education, we had service. Um, and I didn't know that I was going to end up going this route. I didn't know that I was going to go into finance. I didn't know that I was going to be an entrepreneur at some point. But I knew that my life was meant to be something to more people outside of myself. So, I mean, all of that being true as far as you seeing it and, and not being what you haven't seen. Um, I'm just wondering, did you, even though you saw it, did you always want to become it? Now, I'm not talking mm. about necessarily entrepreneur or all this stuff, but like sometimes we see things and we want to go the opposite direction. Was that what you saw, your mom, avid reader, education, all those types of things, service? Was it always something that you had a proclivity to towards like, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that. Or was, just, or was it was just like, <laughs> our parents be on something else, you know, because I'm just saying as, yeah, a, a, as a child and a teenager mm. and going through and, and, you know, sometimes young adult, we kind of find sometimes find the path later. Yeah, You know, then some of us are like, oh, no, I've always been like this. You yeah, know? yeah. So in terms of being a reader, I wouldn't consider myself a, a real reader until the beginning of the pandemic. Like, I've always read books. And that's a surprise, I think, to a lot of people. They probably assume that I call myself Chief Bookman. They, like, this guy reads books. He's been reading books. And I have, but it hasn't been in the way that I've really clung to, book, or clung to books more recently. Um, but I've, in terms of growing up, um, I knew, or I believed, I had faith when I was a kid that I was supposed to be somebody. And I heard Rashad from Earn Your Leisure, if you're familiar, I heard Rashad say that on Market Mondays a couple of days ago. Like, he just knew when he was a kid he was going to do something special. Um, and I've always felt that way. My Will Smith, you know, I know people may have a feeling about him now, but when I was growing up at that time, late 80s early 90s like I, I felt like I was a combination of him and Carlton I was smart I was book smart but I was outgoing I was an athlete I was very social so I, I just had this feeling you're meant to be someone so I didn't necessarily run away from um even the even the preaching part I didn't I didn't think I would ever be a preacher but I knew I had a voice I knew I had a gift of language and words but yeah I didn't I didn't feel the run let me run away from it personally. I just think that that's good because there are sometimes um, I think as it goes back to even you quoting another episode uh, that some that have grew up in a household with a lawyer or grew up in mm -hmm. a household with a financial analyst or uh, analyst excuse me or 
grew up when people with they were educators or teachers or whatever. There's always sometimes some similarity in the path yeah. that the children go. Not always, but yeah. sometimes a similarity. And I think that it's worth noting, and it's something that I say often that even with your dad being a preacher, and of course your mom, you know who she was as well, or is as well. Um, the fact that you didn't feel the pressure to become necessarily what they became, or because um, there are people who would have said, you know, I'm going to use my words to preach, mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. be in the church. And I think that it's so good that you said, I have this gift. I have this desire to share different things, but I don't think it's to share that. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean that that's wrong, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean to share that. And talk about that for just people who have difficulty landing on their lane. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can understand when people have pressure. I think that also goes to the parenting style. And if the parents put that pressure on the kids, and that can start early, it can start very overtly, or it can be subliminal and subtle. I, I never felt that way when I was growing up. So that parental angle was never coming down to me. And for me personally, I just, I wanted to be successful in all facets, including financially. So I knew that I was going to live in a big house. I was going to drive the cars that I wanted. But I also was going to serve and do something positive with my life. For people who may be struggling with that, my recommendation is to realize that your life is truly your life. It's a cliche, but your life is your life. You have to be faithful to your beliefs. You have to first establish what are your beliefs. Create your own belief system. I am very different than my siblings. Very different than my mom. We were just talking about that the other day. Uh, my father passed in, in almost a little over 20 years ago, but I think I would be different from him as well. I've, I'm the only one of my siblings to live outside of the state of Kentucky. I'm the only one that went into corporate America. I, I have a very different vision for my life. And I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable being who I am and liking what I like and doing what I want to do because I have confidence in myself and my vision and my beliefs. Um, So establish what your beliefs are. What do you want to do? And be courageous. So that I think courage is vital on any journey that you take. My favorite book is that is titled The Alchemist um, and by Paulo Coelho, for those of you who may read it highly recommend it and the story is primarily about courage which is doing something in the face of fear i think people believe courage is the absence of fear or something that you can just put to the side that's not the case at all um it's just saying okay the fear is there i'm just going to deal with it so be courageous figure out what your lane is and just move in the way that you want to move be yeah. my recommendation. Yeah. No, that's good. For um, you saying that you didn't really start to have a um, love, or not necessarily love, but start really reading mm-hmm. until the uh, pandemic, mm-hmm. what was that? Because for many of us, I included, mm-hmm. um, the pandemic did not draw us to books. <laughs> um, a lot of other, it, a lot it, of other options. It drew people to many things. For sure. You know, uh, some were uh, bad, you know, and, um, you know, because when you take away 
in some sense, communication in the world and interaction, it sometimes takes people to a dark place, you yeah. know, and then took some people to some other devices, vices mm-hmm. that they chose. And then others, it took us to Netflix mm-hmm. and uh, Bridgerton and all these different yep. things. And the Tiger. The Tiger, the, yeah. The, the, yeah, Joe or what whatever called. his name was. You know, yeah. so everybody was watching so many different things, and, and that was the, if you go on Twitter or whatever, what's trending, mm-hmm. you know. Um, everybody's watching this show. Everybody's watching this. Have you watched that? And it was, you know, when you had meetings with your friends, everybody's like, you need to check it out. Right. Like, I mean, Stranger Things, all these different <laughs> things. Everybody, yeah. I, I did finish that. Anyhow, so everybody's <laughs> watching that. But I never saw trending. I love books. No. <laughs> you know, I didn't see anybody say it. Have you read Michelle Obama's book, Becoming? Have right. you read? Right. I, mean, I didn't hear anybody running to that not saying they didn't mm-hmm. but it wasn't as trending and popular conversation um as what was we were binge watching <laughs> no one was binge so booking right. <laughs> that's good <laughs> hashtag that yeah binge booking binge uh booking. no yeah. one was doing that well and there could have been like i'm saying because you just said that sure so what oh so what tripped in you yeah to say why everyone's binging I'm going to be reading and educating my mind and feeding myself in that way. Yeah. So, uh, binge booking. That's good. <laughs> that's good. I quote his mind. Binge booking. It. So it's so the follow up on the story of how I even got here and, and, and going broke and all of that during 2015, 16. And st- I went back to work in corporate in 2017 and I built all of my resources back up until the 2020 like the beginning of 2020 and I knew that I was leaving after four years which would have put me at the beginning of 2021 but when we all got locked up in our homes this is after Kobe so the the impetus was Kobe passing away and I remember having the thought of if you were to pass away like the whole world is mourning this guy no one would mourn you that way because you haven't done what you came here to do yet and it was just an epiphany of it's time to get back to work because I didn't want, I didn't necessarily even want to go back into the game. It was very difficult to always, I mean, all of my life, it's been success after success, uh, win after win. And to have the, be at the top of it in California, making a bunch of money, doing my thing, and then to fail in the sense of not accomplishing the goal of, of building Cervanta to what I wanted it to be. It, uh, it it made me feel like, okay, I'm just going to stay in this lane. If I build a business, it's just going to be a regular business. I don't want anything with having to do with social entrepreneurship. But when Kobe passed, that all changed. And then you have Rihanna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, you've got George Floyd, Yaya in Louisville. Like you have all of this tragedy happening and we're all locked inside. So we have the one gift that... In my industry, we did not always have, which was time and time to ourselves. So I, I remember that period of, of time when everybody was, I remember there were being a post, hey, if you're not going at it 100 miles an hour right now, give yourself leeway. I was like, oh, y'all putting on the brakes. It's time for me to put on the gas. And it wasn't from a competitive standpoint as much as this is the perfect opportunity. When have we ever had this much time to think? to be with our thoughts, to create. Um, so I just went on a learning 
binge. I mean, I was, it wasn't just reading books. I, I read dozens of books in a couple of months and I was watching videos to reprogram my mind, which started with The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And I started getting into Neville, Miles Monroe, which I know you were talking about, Miles, with, with uh, another guest on the podcast previously. And I just started rewiring my brain to, to increase my belief. I just lost that belief in, in my vision for a few years and it went right back up. So, um, yeah, read more books in a year than I've probably read in 10 years and what most adults will ever read in their life. And that was just a couple of months. Like it, it was the, you know, if anyone was negatively affected by the pandemic, I certainly hate that for them. Me personally, it was one of the best times of my life. That that March 2020 till call it August 2020 ish before I moved back to Kentucky, the most learning I've ever had, the most clarity I've ever had, uh, and it was because we had this gift of time. I think that's why the Great Resignation happened. I think that's why people started leaving their jobs and started doing different things because we slowed down. So I think it started to. Um, people woke up out of a long sleep. For sure. hundred um, percent. I believe that with you found out from corporations to jobs to businesses to anything, people is almost like um, being unpleasant. I don't know what movie that is, but um, it's like being unplugged from something. All of a sudden you're just like, what have I been doing? Yeah. Where have I been? Yeah. You know, and you're walking around just like, I want to know who I am and what am yeah. I doing and why am I here? So I, I agree <clears throat> at that time was a very similar, not the books, <clears throat> but a very similar time of awakening. Yep. Um, where um, there's that insatiable hunger and like there's something I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know exactly what that is. And that you even said that as far as even with the different things that were going on with social unrest and all that, that, that it was a great season for you to really start to get plugged in. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, I love the word you used, it was awakening. I think that's what is happening. I, you know, even if someone isn't necessarily religious, I think that there's been a spiritual awakening on the grandest of levels that we've ever seen in our modern society. I think people are, like you said, getting in tune with themselves. You hear people talking about vibrations a lot now, people talking about manifesting a lot now. And I think that just comes from the realization that we were plugged into a system and that system was disconnected for failed. Yeah, if if hundred percent and and we're just seeing that now and I think the next few years are going to be interesting because you have the economic component, but you also have the spiritual component that people are tapping into. So it'll be fascinating to see where we're at in 2025, 2027, and 2030. Uh, what I'm excited about um, mostly, and, you know, I'm grateful for the connection with, you know, uh, lots of people that are doing many very different mm-hmm. things. Everyone's not. And I believe, I don't want to just attribute it to the pandemic, but I believe that the desire of, or the the need to be like someone else started to go out the door. Yeah. I think. Yeah. In some regard, people start to say, I don't want to be that. Like, what, you know, and you start to see people coming to their own, even if their own might not be as grand as someone else's or whatever, but people going back to school and 
just many different things that were just being put off um, that the pandemic, what I feel, and even with the, you know, Black Lives Matter, Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery, all these different things, I do believe one of the things it did for us mostly is cause us to stop posting everything that's great mm. and start to engage with life. Yeah. Like life happens and it's not always great. That's a fact. It's not always, you know, whatever. There are things that are going on that we are called to do something about. Right. We're, what, what is it that we're doing and what is it that you're doing and what is your role in it, whatever that role is, and to find that purpose in that lane. So um, I think that that's, that's really good. So I said that. I'm done with that. But because uh, <laughs> I'll get on that, it won't come back. But <clears throat> you said you were reading more books than you ever read. I want to talk about the mind. Because you talked about Earl Nightingale and some other people. I mean, there's some different books that you read that I'm very familiar with. This mm-hmm. one that you mentioned, um, Alchemist, those different things, um, Outliers, mm-hmm. all those things um, that often you'll hear. I have learned, and I've heard this in different podcasts, Iron Leisure, Secret to Success with Thomas and mm-hmm. different ones, that success leaves clues. Yeah. And what I have heard and learned, and even what you just said, that people that are heading towards the empowerment of themselves, they're all in some regard similarly doing the same things, Mm -hmm. reading the same books, Mm -hmm. um, going in the same direction. So it's not, for those people who are just like, I don't know, it's not much of a secret because the path has already been laid. Mm -hmm. It's, It's almost do what has been done. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Do what has been done and then find yourself in it. How do you relate to that as far as the mind? Because that just really spoke to me. When you start naming different things, I was like, everybody's kind of reading the same yeah. thing. And it's almost like, for me, when I think of books, and we're going to get back to it, I'm just so engaged in this. <laughs> it's like having everything you need in a refrigerator, but you standing outside of it, not opening the door, yet saying you're hungry. Mm. Oh, so cool. I'm glad you said that. That's perfect. Uh, I just started reading Les Brown's book, um, Live Your Dreams. And the, is that new? No, it's oh, it's just, I want to say 92, okay. if, I, if I read that correctly on the front. Um, but it's a classic, and I'm just a few chapters in. But I'm pretty sure the second or third chapter is you got to be hungry. Yeah. So. so what we have is a lot of people who say that they're hungry. They're not. The, the difference between success, and I've studied a lot of successful people and the, and the mindset, and me being from this, uh, the poorest region of the, the country, and yet I've been able to become successful, and there are some people who come from the same area, nowhere near successful, and how they would define it, or I would define it. And my, my question has always been, what is the difference between the two? But it goes back to what we were talking a little bit earlier. When I was young, did you did you know? And the question that you were asking, did you know? Did you feel that? I just knew. And I wasn't going to allow myself to do any less than what I knew was possible. Um, and I think that's the difference. When I say that I went to the refrigerator and I was really hungry, I actually was hungry. So you start to seek it. And it's seeking you shall find. But a lot of people say it and they don't mean it. And it's the same with faith. You know, I think especially if you grew up in in the church or you grew up in any type of religious household, you've heard, you know, faith, faith, you got to have faith. But what I've noticed is people don't know what faith is. 
They don't know. They don't know that there's food in the refrigerator. They don't believe that it is. They believe that because opening it isn't necessarily easy. And because it's going to be a challenge to even get to what you're trying to get to, people are like, ah, I don't think there's food. But there's some, some non-nutritious snacks over here. This will suffice. This is good. But the people who have faith, the people who have real faith, man, a real belief, they act on it. People like people ask me, how did you why would you leave? And I know people looking at me crazy because I don't make the same money doing what I'm doing now as what I was doing in corporate. But I've got a vision and I've got a belief and a faith. Most people who've been through what I've been through, they were at the top. They fell to the bottom. They got to the top again. They would never leave again. Like, I'm good here. But that's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust. Um, and so, yeah, I think the people who are the, the EYLs, the Nehemiah Davises, the David Shans, um, the Donnie Wiggins, the, all of those people that I've watched over the last few years just grow. They were already putting work in, and then people slowed down. So if they weren't watching Netflix, they weren't watching Versus, they were watching podcasts. People started to educate themselves, and because they had already put work in uh, from that belief and from that, that faith, I just think that you have tied in two words that I think are distinctly different that people don't. Sometimes people use faith and uh, being one of the lanes that I I am in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people use faith as the perfect excuse not to do anything. Mm. Because you said it is not faith that caused me to act. A lot of people have faith. Now, when we say faith, it's those people. It's not just a religious word. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the belief in something, yeah. whatever that might be. Um, people have belief, but oftentimes that belief does not equate to action. Mm. So I can believe that the doctor can help me. Sure. But I have to open my mouth to tell the doctor the area that I need help mm-hmm. in. I can believe that there's food in the refrigerator, but I have to act to open the door. Right. I can believe that all these different things I can, you know, you could set at your corporate and believe in your dream and never make the action to step out. Yeah. So I I want to just kind of push that a little bit because I don't think it's just enough to have faith without the, you know, if we were to tie scripture and faith without works. It's dead. It's dead. That's a fact. So I believe that's a, a lot of times people often, I believe. I believe it's going to get better. I believe that. And then when you start to ask, as you said, they're not hungry, then you start asking questions like, mm. so tell me how your day is lined up. Yeah. Tell me what, you know, have you, you, you want to get a job? Have you put an application in? You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. you want to go back to school? Have you done fast? But, you know, just all these different things. And they'll say, no, but I believe. I think that's it to me. And I love words, so going back to language, every word is distinctly different. So belief and faith, to me, are not synonymous. I believe that to have faith is to have a deep level of knowing. You believe that the Cowboys are going to win. You know that the Cowboys are going to win. Those are two different things to me. So a lot of people, you're right, they say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Or even if they use the word faith, it's not real faith. Faith is is jumping out like Steve Harvey. Oh, don't y'all don't y'all leave? He said that. that I just want to say this. this sit there for me. Sometimes people drop stuff. You gotta hear what he said. He said, "Say that again." What you say about faith? Uh, so there's a difference between 
uh, belief and faith. Yeah. So belief is, it's almost like the difference between hope and knowing. Yeah. I believe something, I believe, I believe something, or I want something to be true. But knowing is, like, faith is just a knowing. I know that my vision is real. There, there is nothing in, in, no one can tell me otherwise. I know people can't see it. I know that people may look at me crazy. But if I look at history and I look at all the people that we've talked about, what do they have in common? They created something from nothing. And if you look around, you see it. Everyone, the microphones did not exist before someone had faith to believe it, like, and actually act on it. So to me, the faith and having true faith is what inspires one to act. If somebody just believes something or they hope for something, then they don't. Uh, so that's the, that's the way that I looked at it, because I know a lot of people who have hopes and high wishes and wish things would be a certain way, but they wouldn't. Uh, I heard Big Sean talk about the analogy. When you have real faith, it's almost like having your higher self on your shoulder and you're in between, like you're, at, you're on a mountainside uh, and there's another mountain on the other side that you're trying to get to and there's an invisible bridge and they're telling you, if you make the first step, I promise you there's a bridge that's going to be there. 99% of human beings will never make that move. That's the difference between real faith and no faith. But isn't that to me, I just want to add, I read a book years ago called Dream Giver mm. by Bruce Wilkinson. He's the same person who wrote the book, um, Prayer Jabez. He wrote, I mean, of course, it was based on the Bible version, but he was just kind of enlarging it. But wrote a book called Dream Giver, which was more of a, like a storyline, you know, narrative about um, this person named ordinary lived in the land of familiar mm. and it was just gave him a lot of different i can't go through all of it but anyhow and basically he had a dream to live beyond familiar yeah even though he was ordinary um but he had a dream to live beyond familiar but everybody who had other names that was synonymous to staying in familiar was just like no your dream is going to be just fine here in the you know in familiar it's what we've always done or whatever and i think one part of the story says that his grandfather or somebody, somebody sparked him and said, I had a dream like that too. He said he told him to pull up something on the shelf. He said, pull up on the shelf. He said, pull it down. So you have to dust it off. But that's what it used, you know. It, mm. And he was basically telling him, if you don't do yeah. and leave familiar, yeah, you'll be always ordinary. Always. there on the shelf. Always. They have been dusted off. And when I read that years ago, I was probably in college when I read it, but even if my steps have been small in some regard, it has always been in the back of my mind that I don't want to get to almost the end of my life and have to be pulling something off the shelf, telling my grandchildren or yeah. whoever what I could have done if I would have just left the land of familiar. Oh, that's good. You know, yeah. it, it is the thing that stays in my head because you will and maybe you've experienced as well. I have had people always say, I think you're doing too much. Mm. Like you should, you know, Dollar uh, what, <laughs> right. what next do you want to do? You know, like, are you, are you a schizophrenic? Are you bipolar? Are you all right? You know, and for me, when I think of people like Steve Harvey and you think of, like you said, uh, David Shantz and all these people that mm. I at least listen to as well. That are not just doing one thing. Yeah. It's almost not just even multiple streams of income, not even getting to that, but are really embracing all of themselves mm -hmm. 
in the many forms of themselves of which they come, I believe that literacy and reading and all those different things, which I used to love about reading, because it takes you to another place that you mm-hmm. would have never gone before and causes you to think in ways you never would have thought. And I think that that's what it is doing. And like what you're saying, that's why it causes you to have that passion for it, because it's in introducing you to concepts and ideas and things that you probably would have never thought of on your own. For sure. And, you know, to that, to that effect, I think there's stages and steps, you know, even going back to the whole idea of success, if you and I were to right now in this very moment at the time of this recording, say, let's get up and walk to California, there's only two options. We either make it or we don't. And the difference between successful people and otherwise is that successful people are going to get there regardless. Car can break down. They can break a leg, can break an ankle, can snow, it can rain. Doesn't matter. I have a goal, and that's the only thing. So the the people that we're we've been making reference to have all done that. I think when you get to the Steve Harveys or even what EYL is doing, it is very much based on building the foundation. And once you've built the foundation, everything's much easier to take place. It's much easier to build out the rest of the house when the foundation is laid. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're it's deciding to go on the journey. The reason why I love the alchemist so much is because he wanted to leave the land of ordinary and he did it against the odds with the fear, with the setbacks, with the challenges. And the lesson that I took from it, I read it for the first time in 2014. I've read it once a year since then is if, if you, you, me or Santiago or whoever, if we keep going, we get to the treasure. The only way you don't get to it is if you quit at any point on the journey. You cannot get to it if you quit. And that's that's the thing is I think the fear of wasting. And I have these thoughts at times as well. Like, am I am I sacrificing my life for this? Am I putting my life on hold for this? Some children outside having fun. (laughs) What's up? Uh, You know, and I have those thoughts. But at the same time, my my answer has already been given. It was given when I decided that this is my, this is my mission and kids need to see it. Uh, I think the, one of the greatest things that we can do for our children is to be the example. So you have a couple of children, if I'm not mistaken, um, if they see you doing something, it's much easier to tell them to do something. And my children, when it comes to books, they just they make fun of me. They just laugh because usually at some point I am reading, usually sometimes iPad. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, there he goes, just sitting there reading or whatever. I mean, maybe at some point it will spark mm-hmm. or whatever, but they have seen me do that for so long. So I wanted to ask that as it relates to uh, with children and um, just a different generation, younger generation mm-hmm. or anybody. How do you, because the statement, I love books. It's not, I read books. Right. I love books. That's very intentional. Mm-hmm. Like, because some people, like, I read books. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I read. <laughs> but to say I love books has a different um, spin. So how do you introduce the love for something that many people don't naturally do? Yeah. Uh, sometimes people don't do it out of, you know, their own fears. And I, I don't know if I can read well. Um, or you didn't have an example. Um, or, you know, you see this thick 345-page book, and you're just like, eh, 
Mm, I'm not sure. You I'm know. good. Yeah. That Netflix is sounding real good. Yeah, right now. Netflix is thirty minutes. <laughs> and I'm done. You know, you're talking about pages, or you know, and then some people now you can you know listen to books, you know, audio books. Mm-hmm. People are like, yeah, I can't, you know, but you'll listen to you know all of the latest music. I'm not gonna quote anybody because right. they're not endorsing me. Right. Uh, but to listen to all the music, you know, but I can't listen to a podcast or a book or whatever. So how do you introduce the love? Excellent question, and you gave all you gave a slew of truth in terms of the barriers that we have, uh, which is why it's so important to introduce children to books as soon as possible. Like while they're they haven't physically come into this world, you can start reading to kids. When they do physically come into this world, immediately read with them. Um, being able to you said something very powerful. I don't want to skip over that. You said read with them. For sure. You didn't say make them read. No. Oh, you said read with them, which is, I think, the partnership. Mm-hmm. I'm showing you how important this is by doing it with you. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's exactly what you were talking about. Like your kid, that whether, whether they are readers or not readers, they know that men read. They know that parents read. They know that adults read all through seeing you read. And it's no different for any other child around the world. Like, they have to see it. And if kids emulate adults in a lot of cases, then it's important for adults to read, which is why when when adults say that I don't like books and I don't read it, it's very unlikely that the kids are actually going to enjoy those books as well. Um, So there's a couple of things that we can do, though. One, find the content that the kid likes. If they like sports, don't tell them that they should be reading books about Mozart when they like sports. Like, let them read a book about LeBron or whoever else that they may be interested in. If they love music, get them magazines. That's the other thing. So it doesn't have to just be books. The, the most important element in this whole literacy game is reading something. And I will say that at times, like, read something. Just read something. Um, so reading magazines, books of interest. Um, articles of interest, reading with the parents, reading with the mentor, um, and having access to books. So even with I Love Books, the, the purpose, the reason why this company, the reason why this brand is relevant is because we are solving a very specific problem, and that's access to books. So when somebody buys a hoodie, a tote, a tee, we're using uh, part of the profits to go buy books two-thirds of kids in low-income homes don't have a single book in their home. So let's say that they, are, they want to read. They can't read. Their libraries are typically underfunded, if they exist at all. Um, and then they go to schools that are underfunded, which means that they probably have old books, if any books, in their libraries. So it's all, we're, we're, we're in capitalism. It's always going to be a game of monopoly. And I think books and getting books to kids is, is important because you're still teaching them and giving them the ability to teach themselves and educate themselves. So those are some of the things I, I, I want to make sure people understand. Like this, this literacy thing is so important. And right now it's a challenge because we're, we're competing with technology, whether we like it or not. Like, especially if the parents are not interested in reading, then they come in the house, they see watching TV, watching a movie, whatever it is, there's, they'll hop on the iPad and play some games. And just like any other investment or lack thereof, we will not see the impact, even with the pandemic, we're not going to see that impact for three, five, seven years from now when the kids that didn't have books in that first six months, that first nine months, that first year, 
didn't go to school, didn't have books, weren't held accountable. Oh, they're two or three grades behind right now. We just haven't seen it yet. Um, so we just have to keep putting in work, put the message out, the importance of reading, the importance of loving books. I've just found out, um, just, well, found it interesting as well. Like, you know, sometimes when I'm in the airport, um, the people that I see reading don't always look like us. Most of the time, I would imagine that is the case. Very rare. Yeah. Um, when I see us, we're playing a game on our phone. Mm-hmm. We're scrolling, looking at someone's Facebook post mm-hmm. or whatever, but not reading. Um, and if there are AirPods or something in their ear listening, it's not usually to a podcast or right. whatever. It's usually, I mean, not that I'm on their phone. Sure. But you can kind of, like, you know, because it's like, <laughs> no Filling podcast vibes, is making right. you do that. So, right. How how do we tackle that? Or how I don't know if you tackle it, but do you just continue to have conversations about it? Do you continue to just? Uh, there's a, there's a couple things there. So I I was privileged to have an op-ed piece published in Newsweek last year, and in that it thank you it it breaks down the history of literacy for Black people in America. So when we, we, the United States, y'all check this out. The United States is the only country in world history to withhold those who were enslaved from reading. The only country. And it's not like slavery only existed in the United States. It was worldwide. But the U.S. made laws around not allowing black people to read. And any allies that were attempting to help us read you were punished too. So you could go to jail, you could be fined, you could be beaten, uh, you could be killed for reading. Why is that? One of the greatest things corporate did for me was help me hone in my critical thinking skills. The first question I asked, and then the second question, third, fifth, seventh question, why? Why is that? Why would they want you and I not to read? Well, if you cannot read, you cannot learn. If you cannot learn, you cannot earn. If you cannot earn the legal way, what are your options? Earn the illegal way. And we see that all in our music. We see that in the content that's pushed in front of us. And so even to back it up with the slave, it wasn't just that we couldn't read then. Let's say that you are trying to protect your children from death or getting beaten by this guy over here. You do not pass a love for reading down when it can harm your child. You do not have books to read because even when we became free, where would we get books from? If we did get books, would the characters look like us? Would we be interested in it? Have to ask, like, we didn't just show up here. It's not a matter of capability or lack of intelligence. It was systematically designed to make black people not interested in reading books. Period. And that's just a fact. Like, um, and so I think the way that we change that is to be very intentional with showing our kids, setting the example, first of all, like, Take 30 minutes a day and read. I know, I, know it's, I know it's boring. I know that it's not as fun as watching TV or Netflix or whatever it is. But you cannot ask your child to do something you're unwilling to do. This is my opinion. Now, granted, I don't have kids, so I don't know if that's the way. And, I, and the idea of how a lot of us were, grew up in terms of black culture, do as I say and not as I do, that doesn't work. It's not effective. It's not efficient. We need to get rid of it. Like, that's not the way this game is going to work. If you're going to tell your child to be intelligent, be studious, um, be a reader, 
be a reader. Show them. Set the example. That's the first thing that we control and that we can do. We need more people in the book game. So more writers, more illustrators, more publishers. Um, we, cannot, we cannot expect kids to read material that wasn't created for them uh, and, and material that is not of interest to them. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, if something wasn't of interest to me, I was, I was fortunately I was smart enough to know that I had to read it, but I wasn't interested. You gave me something that I'm interested in, I'm blowing through it. And the same still holds today. So yeah, we there is a there is a long history, and if you are unaware, um, check out the Newsweek article. It will break all of that down. And Newsweek isn't going to allow me to just put some stuff up. There was a lot of research that went into understanding why is it this way. Not like you are higher, less capable, but we know that systems produce the result consistently over and over without very much effort. So. Uh, that's how we got here, and those are some of the things that we can do to to move away from where we're at now. Do you feel that there, even for yourself, is there a particular mode of reading that you choose more, whether it be audio or reading? Do you have to have a physical book? Do you do digital? What is your mode as far as reading? Love paperback books. That's my number one. Um, I'd Which say, I know a lot of your videos is always the, um, you know, you see all the books. Books up in the background. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, I counted the other day. And it's like, I think this is probably 90% of my collection. This is a lot of, it's a lot of books. Um, so paperback, paperback is number one. And then I love audio books as well. So I'd say paperback, audio, hardback. Um, yeah, and then I, I don't read ebooks at all. Okay. Yeah. I, not, and I, I can't say whether it's good or bad because I haven't tried. I, I don't have an iPad, which... I don't know how that happened, but I don't have an iPad. I don't have a Kindle, uh, but I do have a collection of of good books. So I think there's a challenge for all of us um, to, whether you have a child or not, for those of you who say, you know, this whole conversation has been great, but I still don't like books. <laughs> well, <laughs> try 30 minutes. I think that's a really great um, challenge, just a 30-minute read a book challenge you know read a chapter i mean i tried to sell it to my my youngest son it doesn't always work but i am going to go home today but do that 30 minutes watch me uh yeah, but um just i'm like just read a chapter a day i used yeah. to tell him that read a chapter and sometimes a chapter be four pages i said read two yeah because <laughs> that was too fast yeah you know, but read it but just try to get him to you know get in that rhythm of it um but i think that it is you know if you can you know how do you eat elephants one bite at a time you know, you can't sit down, you know, because I do think it is overwhelming when you feel like you got to read 100 pages and yeah. stuff like that, you know, and you're, you're not. But um, I, so I want to ask this question. Um, how much, and it's not an answer, how much should one invest in their education, in their reading, um, in their... Um, um, so in terms of invest, the best investment is the investment of time which I think, depending on someone's situation, I think there should just be an allocation, like a budget. If you have eight hours that you are, that's of your leisure, then how much of this time should I invest in my personal education? Financially, um, you know, if you don't want to buy books like I do, I prefer to purchase books, but the library is my second home, so go to the library. 
pick them up for free. Do people go to the library anymore? <laughs> they do. Yes. <laughs> now, I, I will say that it's it's interesting because to that point, I don't see it's not crowded like that. And the libraries it used to be used to be. And the libraries in Louisville are really pretty. They're re- they're beautiful libraries. And I'm sure I know the one downtown in Lexington um, is is also an, a, a really beautiful building. So they've done a lot of work to make some really great. Do properties. you believe with the um, surge of uh, or even the access to audiobooks and um, and actually digital? Mm-hmm. Do you believe that? libraries might be struggling with how to um, mm. make themselves as um, I don't say profitable because it was never about that but as I don't know what relevant is, useful relevant. Yes. yeah uh, I th- that's a great question it's a great observation I, I think it is very much possible un- unfortunately and and I don't know if that's a quote-unquote good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it could just be a thing, could just be a reality. That's how you have, I mean, people buy, even with physical books. Mm-hmm. You don't, souls who are not going to the library are going to Amazon. You know, that's Easy, a, Amazon yes. Prime book, Amazon oh. Prime box on everybody's oh, man. You know, house every day, oh, every man. day. Uh, mine included. Yeah. Uh, not every day, but... <laughs> Almost. <laughs> you know, that's the Amazon Prime. You know, uh, so it's that, you know, and then, you know, I have, I do have iPad, you know, so I'm going on books. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times I'm, if I'm getting something, even now being in the master's program, I'm getting books oftentimes right there on, yeah. you know, there. So I don't, you don't have to leave your house. Right. You know, which in some regard is important or lends to those people who do feel like, you know, I don't, you know, I have to go to the library or whatever. It almost removes the excuse from us. Yeah. Because it's right there. It's right there. Now, the challenge is being disciplined to stay on the book and not swipe to Instagram, Facebook, all those other things. That is the challenge of it. Because the physical book, yeah, you don't have the glare. You don't have the screen. Yeah. You don't have an incoming call. You don't have a text <laughs> message. You don't have a tweet. You don't have notifications. You don't know the news updates that just came up. So you can stay in that and put your phone to the side or whatever. Um, you know. But now, yeah. if you are doing that, podcast or otherwise, working out while you're listening to whatever, if you don't have your phone on Do Not Disturb or something like that, all these other outside sources, and you're like, man, yeah. I was going to read, but let me answer this. You know? Yeah. that's a Man, that's a really great point. And, and we're just distracted. We're constantly distracted, which, again, going back to the systems concept, it's not just systems for, quote, unquote, black people. It's a class system. Like, we power stays in powers for very specific reasons, and one of those is the amount of distraction that we have. So to negate that distraction, one of the strategies I use and I highly recommend is setting a timer. Um, I put this out on social a little while back and it, it people like that's a that's a decent idea. So I'll set a timer for 15 minutes, turn everything off, not on do not just turn everything off, completely undivided attention to oh, this. People are shaking right now. Having, having, uh, they well, have a panic no, attack. No, it, no, it's, it's, like, oh. it's, it's, it's 15 minutes, man. It's 15 minutes or 30 minutes um, or whatever it is, because if you can set a t- what a timer does. Versus just saying, I'm going to read for 30 minutes and I'm going to look at the clock. A timer allows you to focus knowing that someone's going to tell you or something in this case, something's going to tell you it's done. 
if you start taking a test when you back in the days when you, we would take tests in like fifth grade or something like that, we knew that we would get told when it's time for the test, when it's time to finish, put your pins down. Same thing with a timer. It is extremely powerful because you can focus, which is the biggest challenge I think a lot of us have, myself included, because it's just really easy to put the phone and you get the phone and let me see what's happening. Because we have, a, we have FOMO, we have fear of missing out, fear of something happening and us missing it, and we are plugged in. So I, I get why people don't want to read books. I want to be clear, like I completely understand it. In a world of pure entertainment, pure distraction, it is, uh, and some, especially if you weren't already a reader, I get it. Here's what I would highly suggest people think about. You may feel that way, but the other people who want what you want, that are trying to escape the land of ordinary, they're reading. The average CEO reads four or five books a month. There's a reason why they're, they're rich. There's a reason why they're wealthy. And it's not just them, the entrepreneurs that we've talked about. David Shands has the largest book club that meets every day, Monday through Friday. Shout out to the morning meetup. Uh, EYL University has a book club. Why? They read. Nip Hustle, who is one of my favorite artists, mass, big reader. All of these people, they read. Oprah has a book club. O- Oprah has a book club. Why? Why do all these successful people reading books? And the people who are elevating are also reading books. Going back to the point that you had made earlier, you have all these, these people that we're talking about. We read the same book, Success Leaves Clues, Success Loves Speed. How do we know these things? Because we're searching. We're trying to elevate. And I think when you go on that, when you make that decision to elevate, you realize that there are people who've done it before you that, that left you all the clues. Consume them. Get them. Find your path and get to work. But if you would prefer to stay, I understand that. It's not a, it's not a judgment thing. Outside of, <laughs> if you're going to stay in this land when other people are elevating and going to greatness and accomplishing phenomenal things and being exceptional, don't feel away. Like, accept that I've, I have accepted that ordinary is good enough for me which is a lie to most people, to most people's soul, they don't. But if you know that you're not going to do the work, then you have to lie to yourself, which is something I've noticed a lot of people do. They will tell themselves, nah, I'm good, I'm good. You're not. But okay, that's what we got, man. Read more books. This conversation could go on for decades. That's a fact. I mean, this is a wonderful conversation. I wanted to ask you as we wrap up, what books that you would maybe top three or five books that you would recommend that everybody should just read? Yes. Number one, The Alchemist. Number two, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Number three, The Four Agreements. I was going to ask you earlier, had you read The Four Agreements? The Four Agreements. Don Miguel Ruiz, The Alchemist, Paulo Coelho, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra, uh, The Power of Awareness by Neville. Um, and then the fifth one, it would... I, it would depend on what route the person wants to take. Um, but I would say either ask and it is given um, or something like a biography. So some, some great biographies, Steve Harvey's. Russ has a great book. Uh, Rick Ross has a great book. 50 Cent's um, book is really good. 
the autobiography of Malcolm X is a classic. Um, and then becoming like those types of books is what I recommend. But those first four are what will ground you in what you are, who you are, what you're capable of doing in this universe, give you the vision, give you the dream, or at least open that pathway up in your mind. And then the other books that I mentioned are people who've done it, people who will share the same message. You can hear some, because I think it's helpful if you've seen somebody who's just a normal person do something exceptional, which is part of the reason why I want to become such a success. It's not the money, it's not fame, it's to prove. And I said this the other day to someone, I just want to prove that a kid from Hazard, Kentucky can go do something because they told themselves that they could in their mind. At that point, it becomes a fact to everyone. It's like the four-minute mile. Um, people didn't think it was possible until somebody did it. So we'll make that happen. Yeah, leave the land of familiar. Leave yeah, the land of familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah leave he the was land. ordinary in yeah. the land of familiar. Yeah. Which is like you, because your name is ordinary, it's synonymous with right. that's what you're supposed to settle for. Yeah. But to say no more than this. Well, for those of you who have been watching and um, you're saying, you know, you probably felt a brisk chill while you were watching and um, you just, you know, or listening and <laughs> you were just like, these are just such educated men, you know, like this is an educated conversation and you're wondering, you know, what type of quality this is. And I just wanted to just, you know, shamelessly say that um, this has been a conversation brought to you by the brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So yes, Lord. I just, I just wanted to just <laughs> note that for those of you who might have been in the land of uh, familiar, you know, and, um, you haven't had the opportunity to leave that land, um, but um, for whatever chill you feel, I had to go get a coat or you know blanket or whatever. I just want to explain that that's what's been going on. But brother, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank oh, you man. for being on here. I really, really appreciate this conversation. It has been thank enlightening, you. challenging um, for me as well. You know because we can always do better, um, which I think that's another part of success that people yeah. um, don't embrace as well is that success is challenged. Yeah. And you want to be connected and around people who challenge you to be like, you know, we can do better. We can grow better, you know, which is why we all, there's always room mm, for more. We don't, that's another part of success that people talk about. Like, it's like, it's only one person. No, this, the room is big. Yeah. And yeah. what they want people to come in, you know, when you get to the table, they're like, I've been waiting on you. <laughs> you know, we've been waiting. So for those of you who are watching, you know, we're waiting on you to read. Um, and um, so thank you so much. Any last words you want to say to everyone who's watching or listening? Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. appreciate this podcast. It's really solid. Uh, I've enjoyed watching previous episodes. Um, if you are a parent, please understand that your child must read in whatever capacity. They will not achieve their highest level of success without being literate um, and reading past the fourth grade level. If you are not a parent like myself, help a parent that may not have the resources. We as a community, we as people must help one another. And um, you can do research on literacy and the power of books. Highly recommend you read the books recommended and uh, tap into this podcast every release. It is incredible. That's it. Let people know how they can follow you. So yeah, can, um, get your little tips and tools that you've been sharing. Appreciate it. Yeah, so my all my social is Chief Bookman, Chief Bookman at Chief Bookman Instagram. I'm mainly on Instagram, TikTok, sometimes on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the brand I Love Books is I Love Books ORG on the same social media site. That is at Chief Bookman at I Love Books ORG. 
Yeah, and he has merch too. You can get this shirt that he's wearing so you can rock it too so that you can not just tell your child or your significant other or your friend to read. You can walk around in the house and be like, I love books. And if you're possibly dating someone and they're trying to get to you, you walk around with that shirt on and be like, tell you love books. <laughs> you will not have me. <laughs> so just try it. Just give y'all little ideas. Just try it for Christmas. Anyhow, so I'm so grateful. Thank you all. And y'all know I always encourage you, whatever you do, Continue to embrace your own unique design. Thank you. See you all soon.